This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 16. This is Writing Excuses, Miscellaneous Structures. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Pung. And I'm Howard. And we've spent the last seven episodes talking about different kinds of structure, and we've been taking a very different tack on it than we often do on this show, and it's been wonderful. But there are so many other types of structures we haven't talked about yet. Um, Pung, what, what have we missed so far? Oh, well, I mean, I guess the choices are nearly infinite. Um there are just so many fun things you can do uh, with your work. You can, uh, for example, we haven't talked about uh, stories told backwards. Memento. Or, yeah. Well, wait, is Memento, the mid, The end is the middle, right? I thought it was told backwards. Anyway. It's, it's mostly told, told oh, backwards except for the end. Oh, okay. You know what? We should we should talk about that one after this because that's a great uh, <laughs> that's a great example. But um, yeah, but we've got so we've got stories told backwards. We've got stories told all as vignettes um, or stories told entirely as letters or uh, guidebooks or almanacs. Um, so, um, I mean, I guess the lesson is just that the possibilities are limitless, and it's just more about finding what works best for your story. And to circle back to something that I talked about at the beginning about how, you know, that when you're copying the masters that you you reach for a structure that you know works. And what I'm personally hoping that we all take away from this is that there are a lot of structures out there and that it's very easy to get trapped into doing the same kind of structure over and over again. So it's I think it's worth exploring whether or not there are other things to play with. Um, when I was a college student studying music, uh, in my form and analysis class, we had a, uh, we were analyzing this piece and the, the professor who was very, I don't want to say combative, but he always wanted you to defend anything that you said. Um, he asked, how do we know that this is the beginning of the second movement? Um, and me being glib and stupid and 21 said because the double bar line right there indicates that it's <laughs> and he says yeah yeah fine that's how we see it reading the music but how does the listener know that it's the beginning of the next movement and i looked down at the double bar line deeply repentant for having opened my mouth to begin with and realized oh wait there's a key change and the very first note after that bar line is a note who's is now a, a B flat instead of a B. And I said, well, the key changed. And this first note is a B flat. I bet the listeners can hear that. And, and I was a hero for the day. Um, and the point here is that the structures that we use to create a thing are visible to us. The structures that we observe when we consume a thing are going to be different. You know, you can't see the double bar, you can't see the accidental, all you can hear is the new note. And that lesson, anytime I'm deploying a structure, 
Um, there are aspects of the structure that are there to help me write. And there are also aspects of the structure that are there to help the reader consume what I've written. And I need to be aware of both. That is a really wonderful thing to bring up here because it does come full circle back to our very first episode of this class where we talked about things like Encanto, uh, which are using an unfamiliar structure and which some members of the audience felt was strange and unfamiliar. And there's absolutely ways to introduce new ideas um, in a way that the audience knows what to expect and doesn't go into it saying, oh, okay, Disney movie, I know exactly how this one's going to end. No, you don't, because it's different. Um, I I also want to point out that a lot of the structures, I think all of the structures we're talking about, um, aren't necessarily exclusive to each other or to other things. You can tell a story that is entirely done in vignettes and also follows three acts and also follows Save the Cat. Like, these are all things that can complement each other. They, you don't have to pick just one and then throw everything else away. Yeah, I think um, that's a really good way to put this, that all of the structural techniques that we've talked about in these episodes, they're really, um, that's what they are. They are techniques that can be used within these larger uh, kind of overarching frameworks. So even if you're building your story based on Save the Cat, the, the overarching framework of Save the Cat, you can have uh, multiple perspectives alternating back and forth, or you can have multiple timelines, um, or um, you, know, you could also have footnotes. So um, you don't have to limit yourself, yeah, to just one of these. You can have, um, I mean, I guess you could even try to have all of them. Should that be our homework? <laughs> <laughs> Use every structure at every the same single- time. Uh, if we didn't think that the shuffling story would break your brain, this one will definitely break your brain. That would, yeah, yeah. Completely. Um, now, the, the, I, I do want to get into the question of, you know, since we're talking about choosing which structures to use, how do you choose? How do you decide? Maybe you start with the idea of, well, I'm going to tell a frame story or I'm going to tell an epistolary story. Uh or maybe that comes to you later. So, Howard, we've been talking quite a bit about uh, your in-world books for Schlock Mercenary. The 70 Maxims and the RPG are both written as in-world artifacts that are telling their own story on top of what's on the page. At what point did you s- decide with either or both of those, okay, this is the weird structure I'm going to overlay, and this is why I'm going to do it? Um. I, it, honestly, uh, Alan Barr and I had been trying to get the right hook for the Schlock Mercenary role-playing game for almost a year and a half. And then at LTUE, uh, you know, a local sci-fi fantasy convention, which is actually happening right now while we're recording and I'm not there. (laughs) Big, big sniffle. Um, at, we are at LTUE in the hotel having breakfast and I have this wacky idea and I say, so, Hey, Alan, what if the book, the RPG book is an in-world artifact and his eyes lit up and he's like, Oh my gosh, that's the best thing ever. Like, well, it's not original monster Nomicon in privateer press 
they did that. He says, oh, I know it's not original. I don't care about that. What I care about is that this sounds like fun. And so for us, the in-world artifact aspect of it was fun and got us excited. And, and then any idea I had that deepened the in-world artifactness of the book was a thing that went into it in order to help, in order to help sell that idea. Um, as structural principles go, as, as scaffolding goes, the, the, uh, the measuring stick of, does this sound like fun for me to do? Does this sound like fun for people to read is a really good one that I come back to a lot. If I'm not excited about doing a thing in a certain way, um, no amount of money is going to make me do it. No amount of money, enough money. And I can start having fun again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I chose those models because they entertained me. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned money because that's something <laughs> that I talk about all the time when I teach classes is nobody gets into this business to get rich um, because that is not the natural outcome of anyone's writing process. Uh, we do this because it's fun and exciting to us. And ultimately, I think many, if not most of the decisions we make with what we write and how we write it are, well, this sounds really exciting and this is a toy I want to play with. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's pause here and do our book of the week. I, we've done this as a book of the week before. Um, the 70 Maxims of Maximally Effective Mercenaries, which has a wacky story structure to it mm -hmm. because of the handwritten margin notes and whatnot, um, is available at shop.schlockmercenary.com. And boy, if you want to look at something that is a weird story structure, we got you covered. Sounds awesome. Um, I just finished writing something with a very weird story structure, but I can't pitch that to you all until October. So be looking oh. forward to that one. <laughs> well, if we go <laughs> back to the timelines episode, can you do it then? Then I, I'm sorry, yes. I said that wrong. Can we have done it then? And we have already <laughs> done it then? Yes. Uh, we will have already done it there. Okay, so what I want to talk about now is... Let's get into some of these weird things. We talked about stories that are entirely composed of vignettes. Hung, give us an example of one of those. And why might that be a cool structure to use? Yeah, I think my favorite example of that is probably Invisible Cities by Italo Calvino. Um, 
it's uh, I think it's Marco Polo talking to Kublai Khan, and it's just a, a series of very very short stories, and they're just descriptions of every city that Marco Polo has visited in um, Kublai Khan's empire, and um, it's so it's fascinating because there's not really much of a story in the traditional sense because each one is just a really small self-contained description of a new place, but it's, um, it's really interesting and freeing to read, I think, because you can take it at your own pace. You probably could skip around if you wanted to. And so it's more about just all of these stories and the beautiful places, um, taken as a whole rather than anything in particular that happens, um, in each one. And so it's got a very different effect on you than uh, reading a traditional narrative. But um, that goes back to what we were saying about how sometimes we, um, you know, you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over. Sometimes you do want to write something different or you want to read something different. Well, that's very cool. Um, <laughs> the, the outlining technique that I've fallen back on from time to time, which I call a 10 year old boy excitedly tells you about his favorite movie. Um, <laughs> uh, complete with lines like, oh, 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 I forgot to tell you, uh, the hero has a magic gun strapped to his ankle or something. Um, footnote. Yeah, if footnote, whatever. <laughs> um, but that uh, that outlining technique is itself a form of structure that comes back to the oral tradition, I mean, it, it sounds silly to say it, but 10-year-old boy tells you about his favorite movie is an oral tradition that we've probably all at some point taken part in as a kid mm -hmm. has tried to tell us about this thing that they love. Um, the oral tradition of us sitting around a table telling stories to one another is itself a structure that can that, that you can use to tell other things and the more familiar you are with story structures and this this was a big eye opener for me the better you become at sitting around the table with other people telling stories because before you open your mouth you're like oh i know where the beginning the middle and the end is and the end of this story will adjust this conversation to a new topic and this conversation needs a new topic. So we're off to the races. And then you tell your story with its beginning, its middle, and its end, and you steer the conversation to a new place. And storytelling is powerful stuff. It is. It really is. Uh, and I also think that that excited 10-year-old boy tells you a story might be a really good way, if you're unsure about what kind of a structure you want to use, to figure out the kind of structure that you might want to use for your story. Because if you are, if you pretend to be the excited 10 year old boy telling yourself the story that you're about to write, and you can just listen to the excited 10 year old boy as he, whatever his oh, oh, oh's are. So if he keeps saying, oh, 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 about this other character or oh, 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 but 10 years before this, this also happened or oh, oh, oh. And he keeps returning to a thing that the story could be built around. You kind of can get a feel of Maybe maybe what I'm missing is a second or third, you know, character perspective. Or maybe what I'm missing is this whole other alternate timeline that's going to happen in the past or the future. Or maybe what I should be doing is structuring my story around this this map or this, um, you know, 
timeline countdown or this uh, artifact that's in the world. And so uh, I think figuring it out what you're most passionate about in the story and then asking yourself questions in that way to see what your story keeps asking you to explore further is a really um, good and natural way to figure out the kind of structure that would be best. It's also helpful to have a discussion of structure versus form. Um, the, you know, three act versus the form of a cozy mystery. Yeah. Cozy mystery can mm-hmm. be told in three act, um, or a cozy mystery can be told in Kisha Tenketsu. Cozy mystery obviously could be written with seven point or with 10 year old boy or what, what 10 year old boy is unlikely to be super <laughs> excited about the cozy mystery <laughs> unless it's set in space, but I don't want to give away what I'm working on next. Um, the, uh, but the point here is that as we look at the huge jumble that is story structures, I always try to resist the temptation to map one onto the other and to say, oh, three act is just seven point story structure without extra information. Or, you know, hero's journey is just way too much detail on a five act play. Um, I resist doing that because all of these structures exist to help the brain of the creator and the brain of the consumer get from, you know, I don't have a story yet to I have reached the end. So there is such a lot to think about here. And I think that that is uh, fascinating. I want uh, everybody to try these out. uh, And we've got homework that is going to help you with that. So Pung, give us our final homework for this wonderful structure class. Break our brains. (laughs) All right. Well, for your final homework, you are going to take the project that you're working on or an outline of the project you're working on and try to reframe it using one of the structures that we've talked about uh, during this deep dive series, maybe especially ones that you didn't try before. Um, so yeah, take your outline or take your project, reframe it with one of these techniques, and then consider how that changes your work. Um ask yourself what aspects of the story did it heighten or what did it diminish? And, um, you know, not every structure is going to work for every story, but by doing this really intentionally, uh, instead of just letting some kind of a structure fall into place naturally, seeing what it does for your draft and what aspects of these, um, techniques you might, um, you know, you might want to keep moving forward, uh, I think could be really helpful. Cool. Hey, Pung, thank you so much. Uh, these episodes have been wonderful. This whole class you put together for us has been great. Uh, do you have any final words? Uh, I just want to also say thank you so much. I had such a great time this season. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. We want you all to go out and uh, buy Punk Shepherd's books and try all these techniques in your writing. So anyway, this is Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. This has been Writing Excuses. Your hosts for this episode were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Pung Shepard, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us and to support us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. 
If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.